0: So we'll now read today's scripture. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, the page is 1007. It's Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the word of the Lord. Hebrews 11, pretty popular chapter, I guess, because whenever someone wants to talk about faith, you kind of like direct them straight to this chapter, yeah? But um, this is the faith chapter, or some call it like the hall of faith, because you go through all these names of people with... Uh, amazing faith. Before we jump into this chapter, I think we need to go back several verses in order to get a better understanding of why the author actually wrote chapter 11. So let's take a look back to chapter 10, verse 35, and start there. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we have to look at the reason why the author wrote this chapter. And it seems as though the author is wanting to encourage the readers to be people of faith, despite the hardships that they're facing. Uh, this early church is facing a lot of persecution. Um, they're facing uh, this doubt because more delay is going on, and they're wondering, like, "Oh, we're, we're we're given all these promises, but they haven't happened yet." And and whatever other negative factor that is going on in their head, this is to encourage them to continue moving forward and not shrink back in their faith. So the author writes about these heroes of our Judeo-Christian faith here in chapter 11, right after chapter 10, after kind of trying to encourage them. And so these were people who believed what God said, and he was trying to encourage them to live according to what God said. So with that context of chapter 10, let's now go into verse one of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Um, I don't know if you've shared this same frustration as I have, but when I'm talking to somebody, especially when I was a, in college or a young adult or in high school, and I asked the pastor, like, what's faith? And they just kind of go, Hebrews 11, verse 1. And they just read this thing to me, and I'm just like, my jaws just down. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what, what does that even mean? And so this is a pretty comprehensive definition, um, but not completely. Like it, it's, it's a good one. It's a useful one, but it's not completely comprehensive because it doesn't really tell me how do I know that I'm actually a person of faith just by reading that. And so maybe something that may be helpful is to share what faith is not, because I think a lot of us um, in kind of like lay people terms, when we're trying to define what faith is, we kind of default to these definitions that aren't necessarily accurate. And so what faith is not? Faith isn't a subjective feeling. You know, because sometimes we think, like, oh, it's just this internal thing and I just feel this certain way. And that's just a little bit too vague. It's too separated from the objective truth that God has made known to us. Truth is made known to us and faith is built on that truth. So... Faith is not a feeling because the Christian faith is based on evidence. It is based on truth. It is not a blind faith. Another thing that faith is not is it's not a positive mental attitude. It's not an optimism because when people kind of share like, oh, just have faith, they're trying to make it like synonymous to those things. Now, I'm not saying have a bad attitude or a negative attitude. You know, outlook on things. It's good to think positive but it's not the same thing as a biblical faith. A biblical faith has an object The object of the faith is really important to us. It's not about like pumping up ourselves with just positive energy or positivity. In what, in whom we have faith in is really important because it's not faith in itself that is the idol, but it's in God. So real faith is not based on feeling. It's reliable because of faith in God, the, the subject, the object. And so you look at verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so in faith, we start with God, the object. Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God. Not something else, not someone else. It's God. Faith isn't an accidental thing, faith is deliberate, it is purposeful, it is thoughtful. Otherwise, how do we even know that God is listening to our prayers? How do we know that? We base it on faith, hope, prayers, on truth, on evidence. And this is what the author is doing. The author is pointing to all the evidence of all these people of faith who exercise faith. And it's a, it's a, it's a historical look at all of Genesis through these people of faith. I liken faith to a title deed, to a piece of property. And so it's like a, an investor who kind of purchases this sight unseen. He's, he's, he's buying it. He's He's putting a lot of trust in the person who's brokering this transaction, and that's and that what the broker says is true, and that he's going to receive this title deed. And so they are banking that the broker is faithful, that the broker is trustworthy, that they themselves have not seen that property, and their faith is in the object. Their faith is not in their feelings about it or in their optimism, but in the evidence in the truth that this person has been doing these sorts of things and comes through. And so like the faith of Noah that led him to build the ark, his faith led him to do something. It wasn't just something that he was just thinking about all the time and stuck internally. That our faith is to be dependent on knowledge, on knowing. John chapter 17, verse 3, it reads this, "...and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." John chapter 1, verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. In knowing Jesus, we know God. Our faith is grounded in the rightness of who Jesus is. And so we have faith in a lot of things, actually. We have faith in putting our money into a bank. That's faith. But our trust is in that object, that bank, because the bank has existed for decades and it has done that same thing for many people before us, and it has FDIC insurance. We are basing our faith to put money in a bank because of evidence of truth. We do the same thing when we put trust in public transit. Most of the time, right? We base it on like this. Bart has been running for many decades and it has this train schedule and when I put the ticket in it works and we have all this evidence that if I show up at the Bart station I can go into the city I can go into different places it's it's a faith based off of evidence and so this is what the writer's doing it's basing off of the evidence on the object God and the writer is showing us this proof that people through, through their faith over all the generations that we can even look at them that we can look at our own lives we can look at our family tree of God's faithfulness we can look at the Bible to these people who compel belief in us that faith is in the object God and not faith in itself now in order to exercise faith we need to exercise that trust you need to deposit that money there you need to get on that train and yet even demons have a view of God and they know a lot about God and they can do better on a theology test and a Bible test than we can. But they don't trust God. And so faith has to go beyond just knowledge. Even though knowledge is part of faith. That the knowledge needs to result in action. So faith includes knowledge, trust, and action. And so how do we come to faith in Jesus. We gain knowledge about Jesus. It, in, it involves our mind. It involves thinking. We know that it's not just a feeling. The knowledge we gain, it leads to trust. Faith involves knowing and then acting upon the knowledge because we trust in it. That's how we stay true to God even when things are difficult. Look at verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we are introduced to these people. That they believed what God said, that, that knowledge, and then they lived their lives accordingly, so they trusted. Verse 3, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Maybe some of you are thinking, like, what does this have to do with me? Well, the, the, the writer wrote this to help us understand if you look at this, this is in the present tense, this verse. And this history lesson that we're going to be moving forward to from verse 4 and on, it applies to us in the present in that this is relevant to us now, especially when we reach these places of doubt and fear. To go back to, do you realize God created this universe, meaning you're not here by chance. You're not here just because of an accident, that you're here for a purpose, that you were deliberately put here for a reason, that you have meaning in your life. And so with that kind of background, we then talk about these various people, and we start with Abel, verse 4, "...by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks." For context in Abel's story, you have to look back to Genesis chapter 4. And there you'll find that Abel offered by faith this better sacrifice than his brother Cain. And Abel was commended as righteous, and it ties back to this uh, more acceptable sacrifice. And it speaks by faith even though Abel is dead. Now why did God accept Abel's sacrifice but not Cain's sacrifice? And you'll notice that it has nothing to do with the material. It's not a meat versus veggie thing. Like, God likes meat better. That's why he... It's it's not like that at all. This is not based on material at all. It's it's the outward expression of devotion and obedience. God is looking at our heart. And so this isn't a sacrifice of atonement. So it's not dependent on material. The, The issue is the same as it has... Always been for humankind, that God is not concerned with material, but the expression of devotion, the expression of obedience. Take a look at Psalm chapter 51, starting verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Abel was accepted because his heart was purified by faith. And the distinction was not in the sacrifice, but in the person who sacrifices. The acceptance was based on one's own personal obedience and their faith. And so God desires obedience, not sacrifice. We need to be justified by God before we can do anything for God. And so it begs the question, are, are Christians the only ones who can do good deeds? Thank God that's not true. Uh, we're, sometimes we're just not good at it. You know, sometimes you're, we're just stuck in our churches. We're just not doing anything. So of course not. There are a lot of non-Christians who are doing a lot more good deeds and some that are doing better deeds than even Christians are. But here's the thing. The deeds aren't the means by which we gain acceptance by God because it is not by works but by faith that we are justified with God. So which deeds do glorify God? The deeds that are offered by faith. When the deeds are an expression of our acceptance rather than a means of acceptance, so not all good deeds glorify God. And good deeds aren't what gain us acceptance by God. Faith means giving our best to God, and it's more than just our action. It includes our heart. It includes motives. And it includes the faith behind the action when we're offering the best of what we have to offer. You go to the lake here, and you'll take a walk, and you ask people, so do you believe you're going to go to heaven? And I think the vast majority of people will say yes and you'll ask them why, and they'll say, oh, because I do more good things than I do bad things. And so they have this idea of a balance, of, of oh, this outweighs this, therefore, but it's by faith. It's by faith. So it's not the number of good deeds. It's not this material thing. They're, they're just acting like Cain when they're coming before God. Look, God, I, I did this, these material things. I'm offering you these material things. And God is like, no, that's not what I'm after. I'm after something deeper. Your motives, your heart, why you're doing these things, not just simply a material thing. Verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Go to Genesis 5. This is where you read, story, read the story about Enoch who walked with God for a really, really long time. And his relationship with God is is just this long, sustained, consistent walk with God. A sustained faith throughout his entire life. But you'll notice that if you look at chapter 5, verse 22 of Genesis, that it wasn't until after the birth of Methuselah that he has this faith and he begins walking with God. Now, some of us have met people like this, that when life gets a little bit more real because you had a kid, you start thinking differently because you're thinking, oh God, help me. Like, oh, God, like, I do not know what's going on. I got these kids now. What am I going to do? And you start thinking about things that you just never thought about. For example, like, when I got married, I had a very, very small life insurance policy, just enough to get me buried. I just didn't want to put that burden on Katie, and I was just like, I, I, just like okay, I'm just going to get enough to, like, take care of, like, any medical expenses that I might have and just to, like, put me away so that she can move on. Like, you know, that's just this is my mentality. Like, just make it really simple. Didn't have to think about college at all. And then I had a kid. And I was like, oh man, I got to up that policy for at least until like, I, I need to do like a 20-year term. And I need this much to last her. If I died today, that it'll last, me 20, it'll last her 20 years. And then, oh my gosh, college. And I got to put away for that. And then I had another kid. And then another kid. And then another kid. So I I every time was like, oh, I gotta up my policy. I gotta up my policy. And my and my agent's just like, Oh yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. I'm like, yeah. This happened to Enoch. It wasn't until after Methuselah was born that he starts walking with God and he starts to think about things differently, just like some of us do when we, when we have these little guys come into our lives. We start thinking a little bit more deeply about our relationship with God. At least this happened to me because I started looking at God as like a different way because of father, I became one. And so God, father, and like thinking through these things and the things that kids do to you, they bring the evil out of you. You, you start noticing how inadequate you are. Because you never knew that you could get that mad, or that frustrated, or that impatient. Like all these bad things about you are just brought up to the forefront, and you, and you once thought you were so patient, and you were so wise, and you were so smart, and gracious, and merciful, until you had a kid, and you realized, I am none of those things. I thought I was all this, but now I realize I'm none of it. And they direct you to God. And as my kids are becoming teenagers, I'm more directed to God. I'm just getting more and more directed. I've never realized what sanctification more was until I had kids. Like, once I got, like, I know what sanctification means now. I'm living it, I'm, I know what it means. Why do I bring all of this stuff up? Because faith is a very decisive act, you decide. It doesn't just happen. And so Methuselah born. Enoch's like, I, 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 I'm doing this. I have to do this. So the question for you is, when did the decisive act happen? Because you don't necessarily have to have a kid for that decisive act. But when was it that there was a time in your life that you depended on something, someone else other than God, and then there was a time where you were saying, I depend on God. When was that time for you? We walk in faith with God right here, right now in the present. This is where we do it. Why do we do it? So that we're with God in eternity. We don't walk with God for eternity if we don't walk in faith with God here. And so Enoch walked by faith with God in all aspects of his life while he was alive in the present, submitting his life to God. Take a look at James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And so you read there, demons believe. They believe. They even shudder. They even fear God. Difference is they don't please God. See, Christianity is not just another religion. Christianity is about seeing God face to face through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ who died for us so that we can see God face to face, so that we can have that life with him, to be able to see our own sin and to deal with it by submitting our life to Jesus. Faith is walking with God in the present right now whom you and I can't see, like Enoch, But we know God to be the most important part of our life, not Methuselah, which so often is our idol when you have a child. That kid becomes your idol. Verse 6 And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so, are we people of faith? Faith is an indispensable channel of salvation. That is what is needed. Faith in God. The same faith that Abel exercised, that Enoch exercised, and now we talk about Noah. Verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the rightness, righteousness that comes by faith. You can read about Noah and that whole context in Genesis chapters 6 and 7. And so he's there. He's just calling out the people about the way that they're living their life and how this is not the way that God had had designed things. And people think that Noah is absolutely crazy. God provides this deliverance, like in the days of Noah, to us. But do we take God at his word? Do we believe that what God is saying is what is best for us? like Enoch did. And so for many decades, Noah was giving this message to the people that they would be saved if they entered the ark before the judgment came in this form of a flood. And so he's out there faithfully working on this ark, faithfully giving this message that, that, that you know, you'll be saved if you enter this ark. And, and God is there so patient, withholding judgment from all of those people for, for decades and Noah keeps warning them and telling them that your lives are going to receive condemnation and judgment. And everyone's thinking he's absolutely crazy because you're building this humongous boat and there's no water anywhere here. There's no water here. There's no ocean. There's no, like, where are you going to sail this thing? You got to put wheels on it. Like, this is not going to work. And so they think he's just crazy. Noah tells these people how they're going to attain salvation. But they perished. And they died. Why? It's not because of the things that they were doing. It boils down to unbelief. They didn't believe Noah. Because if they simply repented, they would be saved. Like Noah and his household. And so... Which do you choose, this belief in God or this unbelief? And here we read of God who is so patient, so patient, he withheld for many, many years the flood. And for thousands of years, he's withheld his return from us so that we have opportunity for salvation. Take a look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus Christ is returning, and no one knows when this is going to happen, but it's going to happen like the flood in Noah's day. People are just going to be going about what they usually do in life, giving in marriage and eating and drinking and just doing all the same things that they're going on with their lives with. And back then, centuries went by with Noah proclaiming salvation and how to get it in this ark And here we are, many centuries later, after the death of Christ, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and how people are going to be saved, that if we go to Christ, that ark, we will be saved from the judgment of sin. But people continue to ignore these warnings, and they continue not to believe Noah was faithful in his obedience and how he responded to God and people just weren't listening to Noah and yet they were watching him. Look at this nutty guy just hammering away at this boat. And I need to let you guys know that people are thinking the same thing about you too. Look at those crazy people. Every Sunday they just go to church when they can go on a nice hike or they can go do other they just go to this church and they sing songs and they listen to this guy talk about the Bible and stuff. They're crazy. People are watching, not just what we say, but also how we live. And so faith is doing something that doesn't make sense because God told you to do it. And we don't know when Christ is returning, but we do know this, Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so you and I need to choose this day, today, whom we will serve. Noah faithfully served the Lord. Whom do we serve? And we read here from Peter's letter that God wants to save everyone. He wants everyone to get on that boat. But you have to believe. You have to make your way over there. You have to take those steps of faith To believe that and trust that. To come to Jesus at the foot of the cross where he takes your sins and he will transform your life. Noah feared, he believed, he obeyed, and he was saved. And everyone outside that ark was mocking him. Did not believe. Disobeyed, and they perished. And I thank God so much that he's so patient. Because it has been decades that I've been praying for my mother who's still not believing in Christ. Decades! Since I was 14, and it hasn't happened. I thank God that He's so patient. Some people may question, like, "Ha ha, your God has still still hasn't come, and you guys believe in this thing that still hasn't happened for over 2,000 years?" That's just so ridiculous. I thank God for that. Thank God for His patience. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You look at Romans chapter 4, it talks all about Abraham from uh, the Apostle Paul's writing, that Abraham is the father of the faith. And if you look at Genesis, uh, that context is back in Genesis chapter 12, where his name is Abram. Abram is told to leave everything that represents security to him and he does it. Why would Abram ever do such a thing like this? Well, he hears God's calling and Abraham's response is that of faith. He starts taking these steps of obedience to do as God directs him to do. And so when God tells him to go, he goes. To do anything else would be exercising faithlessness. You, you wouldn't be exercising faith unless you do what God tells you to do. And the only place to be, ever, is where God wants you to be. Does God want you to do this? Does God want and we have all these questions of like God's will and all these sorts of things. And essentially what we need to ask is, is, is this where God wants me to be? And if you are in the will of God and you're doing this, your life will be transformed by that act of faithfulness and that act of obedience Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God spoke, Abram obeyed, he trusted God, and that is faith. Trusting in God's promises, trusting that whatever God says he's going to do, he will do it. And you can see that Abram wasn't looking for permanence because he's living in tents. But he's simply looking to be wherever God wants him at that moment. So he's ready to uproot. The temps are temporary. We'll settle down here and we're going to keep moving to wherever God wants us to go. And this is so inconvenient. Right? To just go from place to place and not be settled and, and to leave everything you had and just to uproot and go every time there's like a movement of where God wants you to go. I'm curious, just for those of us here in the church, is God telling us to go? Maybe God is telling you to go. I would love for you to stay. I I would love for you to stay. But I do really, really love those stories of people of faith. And like, um, I just had a friend visiting from Alaska, you know, four years ago he left here and he just felt like God was telling him to go do this other work. And so him and his wife, they moved to Alaska and he's, he was here just visiting the first service. Like those stories are awesome, those kind of stories of faith where he's just like, yeah, I'm going, that's, that's where I'm being led to go. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised Genesis 17 is the context here. And if you know the story of Abraham and and Sarah, their circumstances are just really impossible. They were promised to have kids. And um, they are well past child-producing years, like way, way past. Not a hope. And you'll notice that so many years have already passed but Abraham is still there believing that God has the power to do what he promised to do. Do we believe God's promises even when they look impossible? Even when they look like that time has passed. It, it passed me by already. Did it really? Because if it, God promised it, he's going to make a way. Even when it looks impossible. Impossible. For Abraham and Sarah, there were so, so many years of delay, and it looked like it's done. Like, how in the world are we going to have a kid? We're, We're way past that. But there are always reasons for God's delay. Always. There's always a purpose in God's delay. Always. So we find Abraham there waiting patiently on God, where his faith is exercised and strengthened in the waiting. And Abraham has faith in God who says who he is. That he is El Shaddai. What does that mean? It means God is sufficient. God is sufficient in every need, in every circumstance, in every difficulty, in everything. God is sufficient. Even when you think the thing has passed you by and when you think it is impossible or, or whatever you're thinking in your head, if he's made the promise, he is faithful to complete it. Verse 12, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. Live by faith. That's our evidence. That's our truth. That you look back to chapter 10, that they continued and they were saved. They weren't the ones who shrank back. They weren't the ones that they were we were warning, we were being warned against in chapter 10. They were actually the ones that we were encouraged to be like who, who stayed the course until the very end until they died that they remained steady in their faith that they stayed the course that they finished their race see it's not how important we start the most important thing is how we finish anyone can start people start all the time right New Year's Day everyone starts working out but how many people finish You know, tons of people start their college degrees. How many people finish? Tons of people start all sorts of things. But it's how we finish. And when you start something, you don't look back then that derails you, that takes you off track, and you keep looking back, oh, how things could have been, or what they should have been like, and we don't keep thinking back of the past. We, we don't shrink back. We, we move forward. We, God has prepared a city, a better country, a, a heavenly one. And so like Abel, who by faith, he gave his very, very best to God. And like Enoch, who by faith considered his walk with God the most important piece of his life, and like Noah, by faith, listened to God, acted on God's instructions, even though everyone else around him thought he was crazy. Like Abraham, by faith, who left behind everything that represented security to him, he goes to this foreign place, trusting that God is leading him to do something, and then he's given this set of circumstances where it's impossible. What God promised me is now impossible, but I'm going to believe it. He's going to come through for me. And God does. He waits for decades for God's promises. He doesn't lose faith even when it looks impossible. Are we people of faith? So here are these four different examples of people of faith, and maybe you can identify with one of them, or maybe even all of them. And so in front of you are these connect cards, and you have pens there. Um, I want to encourage you to write there a prayer request. And the reason why I'm asking for this is we have an elder meeting on Tuesday night and we're going to pray for these requests that come through. And we have a staff meeting every Wednesday morning and we pray for all the prayer requests that come through. And so we want to pray for you. We want to pray for your faith. This belief. This trust in God. And so like Abel the question to ask yourself is Are you giving your very best to God? Or is he getting leftovers? And what would that even look like for you? Are you giving him your best time? Your best gifts? Your best service? Are you giving your best? That's what Cain was guilty of. He came with the material but his heart wasn't into it. And so for the same thing for us. Like, yeah, God, I give you some time and I give you some materials and I give you some resources. Is it your best? Is your heart behind it? What's the intent behind it? Or Enoch, are we walking with God with the most important things in our life? And so you have to ask yourself, what is the most important thing in my life? I think for many parents, those kids become our idols and, and then everything surrounds that. And so we give them our very best. And then we, we, we think that they're the most important thing in our life. And to help reorient us, those who, are, uh, those who are like me, guilty of this and have to reevaluate this all the time. I have four little idols in my house all the time. God tells me to get rid of them. Noah, is God calling you to do something that just doesn't make sense? doesn't make sense. You have a great career, but he's telling you to do something else, maybe? Or you're settled in somewhere and you have, like, your friends and your church community and yet he's telling you to do something else and it just doesn't make any sense, but he's telling you to do it. Or Abraham, is he calling you to leave your blankie? You know, what you hold on to, your security. Whatever that is, your job, your place of residence, whatever it is that you're just holding on to and God's saying, like, go, I have something for you. Go do that. Go exercise your faith. And it might even look impossible. But if he's directing you that way, he's going to make it possible. He's going to open those doors for you. I just want to encourage you to take those steps of faith and not just to be constrained by what makes sense. Like all those people in Noah's day that are just hanging out outside of the boat and saying, like, there's not even a body of water here. Why are you building a boat, dummy? Or Abraham, why would you leave all of this? Your family's here, everything's here, and God's telling you to go to, like, you don't even know where you're going. It's like a foreign place. So fill out those cards, put it in the bins, and we're going to faithfully pray for you guys Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, We will pray for you. We want to walk with you in taking steps of faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these people that you place before us um, Sarah, Abraham Noah, Enoch, Abel these people that we can look to as evidence to kind of help us make that knowledge of you more concrete in our minds and I ask God that you would empower us to be people of faith to keep moving forward and not to shrink back Lord, thank you for having so much faith in us and and patience in us. In Jesus' name, amen.